What does participation look like in your classroom? How can you make sure that all students are actively engaged and not just a few that have demeanors that lend themselves to speaking up regularly? Well, in this episode, I speak with Timothy Chavez, and he is a Spanish teacher in Massachusetts, and he shares his suggestions and techniques for getting all students involved and participating in class. Now, we recorded this episode live in the exhibits hall at the MAFLA conference in October. We had lots of spectators stop by to see how it all works and what it looks like as we're recording an episode. So I made sure and just kept in the background sound of the entire exhibits hall behind us speaking so that you can get a sense of the excitement that we felt and you can feel all of that energy just like we did. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I am Joshua Cabral, and this is a very special episode because we are recording this episode live. You're not hearing it live. You're hearing it as the episode is published, but we are recording it live in the exhibits hall of the MAFLA conference in Massachusetts in October. And joining me today is Timothy Chavez, and he is a Spanish teacher in Massachusetts. And we're today gonna be talking about student participation. And before we get to that, you know, I always have to start by saying, Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here because you're doing what? You're listening to a podcast about language teaching. So thank you so much for doing that. So Timothy Chavez, thank you so much for being here and your willingness to do this podcast live in front of everybody here in the exhibit hall. Thank you for having me. It feels great to be here. Yeah. Can you just give us a quick background about who Timothy, the Spanish teacher, is here in Massachusetts? Yes. I. This is my ninth year teaching Spanish. Um, I had a wonderful Spanish teacher. Shout out to Ronnie Webster. And she just inspired me so much. And so I became a Spanish teacher and I am what you call the proficiency native okay. because I was taught Spanish with a proficiency lens because Ronnie was already doing it and so this is all I know this is what I've been doing since I was learning and since I started teaching yes well our topic today is going to be about participation particularly participation in our language classrooms, but a lot of this stuff is applicable to a lot of different teachers. So sure. if you're listening to this and you hear some great stuff about participation and you can share it with teachers who are not language teachers, please feel free to do that. So when you talk about or embrace participation in your classroom, what does that mean for you? So for, for me, I want to try to find ways to have it so that all students are participating all the time and it's a it's a really big feat for sure um, and so this started for me I was reading a book and I really wish I could remember which book it was but it said one of the practices that we shouldn't be seeing in our classrooms anymore is the traditional Q&A 
And I was like, oh, man, I definitely do that, which is okay because we're all on our paths. We're always Um, on a learning journey, right? But I was like, oh, I want to try to eliminate that as much as possible. So I went on to Google and I typed in participation techniques that will help all my students participate. And the first thing that popped up was total participation techniques um, by the Himalis. And so I immediately went on Amazon, got it on my Kindle and started reading it right away. And this was not a publication that was specifically for language teachers. No, it's it's for all educators. Um, I just find a lot of it, if not all of it, is applicable to world language mm-hmm. classrooms. So what was happening for you? What were you feeling in your classroom where you were thinking, oh, this traditional Q&A back and forth was just not working for you, where you opened up Google and started searching? I was feeling like... Uh, Whenever I was asking questions of my students, only one person was answering at a time. And I I listened to The Cult of Pedagogy with Jennifer Gonzalez. And on that podcast, she had cognitive psychologists who had said the best way to study is to have students force their brains to recall information. And so when I started thinking about total participation techniques, I was like, wow, this is what I want my students to do every time I ask a question Mm -hmm. and so that's really what got me hooked on on this concept of total participation Mm -hmm. techniques and so you've seen them as applicable to the world language classroom absolutely what sort of atmosphere is this creating for your students like you were saying before it's this Q&A traditional only one student is answering at a time so now that you are employing these total participation techniques what is that doing for your classroom environment? I feel like my my classroom environment is more inclusive now um, because everybody is getting a chance. Um, with the traditional Q&A, it's the students who can think of the answer the fastest. And so now I am giving every student, students who are slower processors, students who are fast processors, they all have the opportunity to recall the information. Right. So it's sounds like it's a very equitable way to be running in your classroom where it wasn't feeling so equitable before. For sure. Yeah. So now let's look at some of the specific things that you're doing in your classroom that are based on these total participation techniques. And I would imagine it's the case, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of these are sort of a starting point. They are... Some of them you can do exactly like you're doing in the classroom, or you've maybe tweaked some and figured out some things along the way. And and a lot of times when we go to professional development, like we're doing right now at this conference, that we'll see something and we'll say, oh, I need to do it just like that in my classroom, right? So have there been some of these things that you think, okay, that's a good starting point, but I might want to tweak a little bit for my classroom? Some of them I had to adjust because I don't have my own classroom. And so it's, it is a starting point. It's like, this is a really great idea. How can I use it so that it is effective for me and my needs mm-hmm. as a teacher? Right. So it's one of those necessity is the mother of invention, right? You, you had to get creative with some of them because of not being in the same space. Absolutely. Right. So let's dive into what everyone always tunes in for, the thing they can try in their classroom today. They might be listening to this on their way into school this morning or tomorrow. So 
let's kind of break it down so it's digestible with some of the techniques with whether it's a whole group or paired or individual because I'm sure they're not always working for every type of situation. So what can you share with us about what's been effective for you with these total participation techniques? So I'm going to start with the whole class total participation techniques. My favorite one is having students draw or write anywhere. Ideally, I would do it on a whiteboard because then students can hold it up and I can really see what every student is able to produce. But like I said, I'm, I don't have my own classroom and so sometimes that's not feasible for me and so I will just ask students to draw the answer in the air. At first it kind of sounds like you wouldn't know what they write, but you can tell who, who is writing and who's not actually mm -hmm. writing. Um, so that one is really, really good. I just, I ask a question quickly, but I really want to give everybody the time to process so they all just write it in the air. Another one that I really love is what's called processing cards. And so in the book they mention you give a student a card that has two sides, and one is I'm still thinking, and the other is I'm ready to move on. I have adjusted that one in the sense that I'll do usually a gesture and say, if you're ready to move on, wiggle your fingers on the top of your head, or if you need more time, touch your nose. I try to do something that's a little subtle um, because I also don't want students who are taking a little bit of time to process to feel called out. Mm -hmm. So I like the nose one or the wiggle on your top of your head because right. it's, it's a little more subtle. Right. So I'm curious. I always like to unpack a little deeper because I assume if I have this question, there are listeners that also have this question. When you're using the technique where they were drawing something in the air, how are you reading what they're drawing in the air? What is, talk to us about when you've used that and how it's worked for you. So there are two ways that I use it. One is to draw a picture, and in that one you can really usually tell what they're drawing. The words ones are a little bit more difficult, but what I try to do is look for the first letter that they draw mm -hmm. and so I can see and I tend to look the students that I know might be struggling a little bit I look at them because those are the students I really want to see okay so we have a couple of those those seem more full class any more of those you want to add yes in? Um, the other one I love is just having students act out it can be a sentence it can be a vocab word I usually have them stand up and I also always ask them to close their eyes mm -hmm. because I don't want them to copy each other I want to see who is acquiring this and who is not and so it might just be like show me talking on the phone mm -hmm. and if I can see everybody does a gesture I know that they they know what it mm -hmm. is so a lot of these techniques which you're showing so far are not output in terms of verbal output it's more showing understanding rather than producing language it's interesting I did the series on the book honing our craft recently and in there, there was a chapter talking about comprehension-based language teaching and that there's this idea that communication is synonymous with verbal output and it's not communication unless it's verbal output. And so would you consider these participation techniques that you're referring to as communication, even though there's not verbal output? Absolutely. I, com communication is the interpretation, expression, <laughs> negotiation of meaning. So that this is often Bill, Van, Bill Patton. Van Patten. <laughs> this is the interpretation piece. Right. So you're using it for that. 
Uh, any other ones you want to share with us that you're doing in the classroom? I think let's go to some of the individual okay. ones. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of our language teachers already do this, but it's sometimes nice to hear reminders of things that we've done in the past. So I love having students rank things based on importance. You know, you can you can do it with anything. You can break down a story and say, what do you think are the most important parts of the story? And that's giving every child the chance to interpret the story for a second time usually. The other one is having them sort things. Um, It could be categorizing, it can be read this story and logically place it in order. Um, And all of these are ways that I can see what every student has on their desk mm-hmm. and what they are are able to to do what i'm hearing in some of this is, as well is there's some critical thinking that's going into that and i'm having a lot of conversations with people here at the mafla conference that are advocating for their language programs there's a lot of language program advocacy going out there and getting funding for them I think, personally, that when we're talking about language advocacy, we like the idea that, yes, they're going to be using the language and they're going to be learning about culture and maybe traveling and interacting. But then there's also those not-so-soft skills about language where they're really engaging in critical thinking activities that are applicable to their other classrooms. And I'm always telling teachers, that's where you find your advocacy piece. So... I'm hearing that, you know, you're not just using these as total participation and or to get students to participate, but they're actually engaging in some of those skills. Yeah. And one thing I actually really appreciated about the book is after many of the total participation techniques, they give examples of how teachers are doing it in various subject areas and they specifically label how it relates to critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And I I do think that that's a really, really important skill for our students to learn. If we look at that as with a a lens of assessment, right, we're using these in our classroom. And are you seeing them as students just participating and showing that they're participating and engaging? Or is there an assessment piece along with it for you? Yeah, it's definitely both. I I view this as as formative assessment um, because the reason why I ask for the gestures and the the finger writing is because I want to see what they know and what they can do. And with a traditional Q&A, I can see what one student can do. I can't see what all 20 kids can do. Mm -hmm. Whereas with a total participation technique, I'm constantly getting formative assessments Mm -hmm. that are guiding my instruction. Can you think of a situation where you've been about to move on to a new part of a lesson? Perhaps one, usually we're ready to move on when we're excited about them. And then you did one of these participation techniques and got the idea that, oh, the formative assessment I'm getting back is maybe it's time to pivot a little bit. Can you talk to us about how you've managed that kind of situation? Yes. Um, With a unit I had on um, teenage life, I had my students all stand up and I was giving them words related to their daily lives and and I asked them to close their eyes and act it out. And I, I saw some kids were trying to like peek through their eyelids. Some kids were just not doing the gesture because they didn't know what to do. And it was kind of a bummer because what I was expecting next was going to be an output activity. So I was like, I can't do that to them. That would be totally unfair. And so I was able to use that as feedback to say, wow, they need more input on this. And I grabbed an input activity and gave them that instead. So it sounds like you always kind 
kind of have a plan B. Is that something something you recommend for teachers to always have that plan B in the pocket? I wish that that were true about me, but it is not true. The reality is I'm just an over planner. And so I tend to expect that I'm going to get more done in a class period than I actually do. Mm-hmm. And so I happen to have an extra activity just in case. So it just works out for you yeah. in the end that you have something to go to there, right? Uh, So what has been the student response to using these participation techniques in the classroom as opposed to that more traditional, you're the teacher, you ask one question, one student answers? Yeah, well, because I teach high school, one of the concerns was, are my students going to be engaged in this? And I have never once even gotten a weird look from a student about something I'm asking them to do because I, I think inherently they can understand the purpose and they they realize, oh, he wants us all to, to process this and so this is his way of waiting to see that we all can do it. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they're willing to do anything. Mm-hmm. At first thought or hearing about some of these techniques, they could feel on the younger end for students. So I enjoy hearing from you as a high school Spanish teacher using these and having students buy into them. Do you feel like they buy into them? For sure. And and I, I agree with you. A lot of the people I do see, because now since I've, this has become a passion of mine, I've sought it out. And I do notice a lot of kindergarten teachers on Instagram are doing this. And it's important for us to see. It really is applicable at all levels. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... When it comes to differentiation in the classroom, so we always have to keep that in mind whenever we're trying something new, like that not every student is going to have the same profile that they're coming into this with. So how do you see these participation techniques, like the interplay with differentiation or meeting each student where they're at? I think inherently these are differentiation because the students who may be taking longer to process are always given the opportunity to process the way that they need to process. I think before what I was doing, when I was doing a traditional Q&A, sometimes I wouldn't notice that a student wasn't ready for a summative until it was too late. Mm -hmm. And so this is a way for me to see right on the spot, where are they and where am I going to go next? Mm -hmm. So most of what we have talked about so far have been about nonverbal showing of understanding and those formative assessments have you used some of these techniques that have some verbal output that teachers could consider yes i i actually have some that are verbal output but i also have some for written output um before i get into the target language ones um i in the book they often talk about jigsawing and that is when students are put into groups and they basically become experts on one topic and then they go back into their groups and they teach each other. Mm -hmm. So I took that, I love doing that in my classroom, but I also like doing that with instructions. So instead of me being up there, the only person talking, reading the instructions to the students, I have them read the instructions to each other. Mm And then just say, what questions do you have about the instructions? Um, So that way they're able to kind of have ownership over what they're expected to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the jigsaw piece certainly can be both written and verbal. Another thing I really love to do is I give them an opening activity every day, and it's usually just a question, but something 
for me to see what everybody is able to produce is I ask them to just grab the grab a marker from a little bin that I have, go write their answer on the board, and then I can see what everybody wrote, um, and that is output. I'm enjoying hearing about all these ways to just make the class more interactive and kinesthetic, and it's not just sort of the one-off questions that go back and forth. And I would like to know from you personally, you have this plethora of possibilities now, all these different techniques, and do you plan in advance, oh, this is the one I'm going to use in this lesson today, or do you kind of have your choice of four or five, and you say, oh, this is the one I'm going to use right now, because they don't really require a lot of planning. Yeah, I usually decide on the spot. I I could see how somebody could plan it out, um, but for me, it's more of, I want to see something. Usually, it's when a question pops into my head, and I want to see what they know, Mm -hmm. and so it's on the spot what I choose to ask them to do. Mm -hmm. Do you have a situation where you have multiple sections of the same course? Yes. So, have you seen different results teaching the same content with two different groups when you're using these? Yes, absolutely. There are times when one class is like, I do the total participation technique and they they got it. And then the next period after that, they don't. And so it it really is good feedback because everybody, you know, they're they're all on the proficiency scale. And so not everybody is at the same place at the same time. So if one class is and the other one isn't, then I do have to adjust my planning. Yeah. I think that's important to, to point out because when we see the, the tweets or the posts on X or on Instagram or the blog posts, everyone's always presenting their best selves as teachers, Absolutely. you know, and I just wanted to make sure that we all understand that this is our goal. We want to get there in the end and here are some tools, but if it doesn't work the first time, then just to give ourselves some grace. Absolutely. And I mean, this is a goal of mine to try to eliminate the traditional Q&A, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. every once in a while. Um, But I do try to catch myself as I'm about to ask a question and think, okay, is there a way for me to get everybody to participate? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I just can't think of something. Yeah. And I think that is one of those things that teachers can try today or tomorrow, not even use the techniques that you've said so far. But the first thing is to just ask yourself, is there a different way I could be doing this? And just get used to asking yourself that question. And once you're good with that in the moment, understanding it, then say, oh, okay, I'm going to try this one technique or this next one. But if you try to do it all at once, probably not great. Of course. (laughs) And you can also always use it as a tool to reflect on your lessons as well. And so sometimes if I couldn't think of something, then I'll go sit back at my desk during my free period and think, okay, how could I have gotten everybody to participate with this one question? And I'll do better next year. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have some recommendations for teachers if they want to dive into this a little further, particular books? You mentioned this total participation book. Uh, are there any others that you would recommend? Yeah, aside from, aside from the total participation book, the other book I would like to recommend is Grading for Equity by Joe Feldman. It's not necessarily about 
total participation techniques, but something it does talk about often is participation. And that was another jumping point for me is I wanted to stop grading participation. And so I was like, if I'm not going to be grading it, then I need to find a way to make sure that everybody is going to participate um, because the grade is no longer the incentive for students. The series I did on honing our craft a couple of weeks ago, I focused on one of the chapters on standard-based grading. And that chapter was written by Jude Kwasniewski. And he really also got into that idea of the hodgepodge grade and what does participation mean? And if those students are expecting, I'm only participating because I know it's part of my grade. And if it's not, then you just need to get them intrigued and want to do it, right? Absolutely. So I have been very informed and quite entertained recently by your diving into the world of reels on Instagram, where you give us nuggets of really great teaching advice. So where can we connect with you to be a part of that world that you're creating? Yeah, Instagram is definitely my favorite. It's just at communicative teacher 418. All right. And I'll make sure that's in the show notes so we can go right there. And as we say our goodbyes, I always like to leave teachers with a really hearty piece of advice, particularly if they're listening to this on their way to school today. What is a piece of advice that you would leave with teachers when it comes to participation in the classroom? I would say be patient with yourself. This is not something that happens overnight. And so just pick one that you want to try Mm -hmm. and implement it and see how it goes and then slowly you can start integrating more but Mm -hmm. I think if we try to just every time I ask a question I'm going to use a total participation Mm -hmm. technique then you're you're setting yourself up with a really high goal that Mm -hmm. will be hard to achieve Mm -hmm. so just be patient with yourself and give yourself the grace to make attempts without having to do it every time Mm -hmm. yeah I know the uh, idea of having these achievement goals and then habit goals and this is going to James Clear from Atomic Habits and if we have this idea that oh all of our classes are going to be very interactive with all these techniques that's an achievement goal that seems like but how am I going to get there but if you start with that small little thing you're going to do it's not part of the goal yet but that small little thing you're going to try every day for the next week or two and then build up towards that goal. Yes, that's way more realistic. Right. Well, Timothy Chavez, thank you so much for being here today for this live recording of this podcast in the middle of the exhibit hall here at MAFLA. And it has been such a pleasure. And you are now part of the Two Timers Club here on the podcast. So, you know, there's a lot that comes along with that. You know, your goodie bag will be in the mail. (laughs) But thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. Thank you for having me. What are your takeaways from that conversation with Timothy Chavez? I'm thinking about different ways to engage students in my classes and also using some of those techniques for formative assessment as well. I'm sure that you took away some suggestions that you'll want to try out right away. Be sure to check out the show notes to connect with Timothy Chavez. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. And, of course, there are also links to get in touch with me if you'd like to work together. And we can do that either in person in your school or remotely. I will talk to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so that you never miss an episode. Let's keep the conversation going on social media. Connect with me on X, aka Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at 
WL Classroom. And for even more valuable resources, visit my website, wlclassroom.com, where you'll find over 300 blog posts about language teaching. So stay inspired, keep growing, and continue making a difference in your language classroom.